Welcome back to another episode of uh, Relic History on Earth, and we've got a great episode uh, today. Uh, got a great buddy. I've known you for a long time. We got Eric Schlarb in the uh, studio. Uh, Eric is an archaeologist uh, here in Central Kentucky, and so uh, I've known him since uh, what I was a freshman in college, I do believe. And so, uh, Eric, give us the rundown on who you are and what you do and where you're from, and uh, give us a little bit about you. Well, I'm Eric Schlarb, um, actually a, a Lexington boy, born and raised here, went to the University of Kentucky, um, worked as a staff archaeologist with the Kentucky Archaeological Survey uh, for well over 20 years. We worked out of the University of Kentucky, and that's where I've been <laughs> up until about four years ago when the archaeology program was shut down at UK. Yeah, yeah, and, and which is, I mean, I think I think you would agree is kind of a shame, and, and that you know that no longer is there. Um, it's it just kind of a loss of you know resource and educational purposes here in Central Kentucky, I guess you could say. Yeah, it's very sad, but at the same time, the survey was was rescued by Western Kentucky University. Mm-hmm. So the Kentucky Archaeological Survey still carries on, still carry on its mission. Yep. But it's just sad that, that the University of Kentucky let such a wonderful program go. I, I, I agree. And uh, one of the things about uh, the Native American relic and, and the history of Native American uh, research here in, in and around central Kentucky and really nationally is people don't realize what University of Kentucky and Transylvania brought to the table at, at kind of the forefront of archaeology here in North America with Moorhead and then going into Funkhauser and then Webb. And, and you know, they, they were kind of trailblazers. Yeah, and Webb's, you know, he's considered the father of, of archaeology mm-hmm. at, at the University of Kentucky. Of course, you know, Funkhauser was a zoologist. Yeah. Webb was a physicist. So, mm-hmm. you know, just the fact that, you know, we're looking at 100 years ago now. Yeah. And if people really, really think about it, the science or the discipline of archaeology in North America, uh, South America, mm-hmm. is still very young. It, I mean, we're a, we're a hundred year, um, we're a hundred years in, into it, pretty much. I mean, well, uh, Funkhauser's last survey was thirty three, and I mean that's ninety years ago. Yeah, and then um, you know, working through the WPA and the in the the uh, depression, mm-hmm. um, by the time. World War Two was over, you know, Webb was, you know, he wasn't winding down, but, you know. He, he was winding down, <laughs> yeah. The, you know, archaeology, I'm a firm believer that archaeology started out as collecting and then developed into a further science at that point. Um, and, and so we're only 100 years at most. Yeah, you had people that were referred to as antiquarians. Mm-hmm. So what you had? You had doctors, you had lawyers, mm-hmm. you had teachers, pharmacists, whatever. These were people that were interested in science. Yeah. And you know, one of the places right here in the in the bluegrass of Kentucky, you know, Constantine Raffines came along. Yep. Was working at Transy, and 
I don't know how he got his real job done because it looks like he was traveling all over UK, <laughs> doc, or, uh, all over Kentucky, documenting archaeological sites. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like a, uh, you know Bennett Young, the Bennett Young Clovis, which is a very famous Clovis, was found says Wolfert County, but it was found in Jessman, the farms in Jessman. He was a Confederate general. <laughs> and so, but he was interested it, in, in early man. That's it. That's it. It, it it's you know it, one. It's an addiction, the furtherment of knowledge, uh, and, and the drive for history and the understanding of the people who walked before us. Um, I think that's kind of what drives everybody in, in this uh, field. But now, uh, as a developed science, it's really helping with the further understanding of you know of that culture and, and the who's and the why's and the what's and the when's and things like that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the who's, the why's, the what's <laughs> and the when's because I think where we've lost something is it's really about the who and the why, mm -hmm. not so much as the what of material culture. Yeah. And as archaeologists, you know, I'd be lying if I said that if I dug up a really neat artifact that I didn't get excited. Yeah. We all still get excited. It's in the blood. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah. But on the other hand, again, we're trying to get at the behavior of these people. We want to know as much as we can about how these people live their daily lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, with, with that, uh, I think there's a big misunderstanding about what archaeologists actually do and, and, the, and the benefit that comes along with that science and that discipline of a uh, collegiate archaeology or a professional archaeologist um, and the study of. Really, I, this is an impossible question to answer over one hour, but just in a synopsis, what is the main purpose of archaeology? Is it preservation? Is it understanding, or is it a combination of everything above? Well, it's, it's a combination of many things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, archaeology starts with curiosity. You, you formulate a research question. Then you go and you want to find answers, so you start to dig. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you end up with? More questions <laughs> than answers. It never so, ends. But we're trying to keep alive in some ways uh, these people's life ways. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't preserve all the technologies. Mm -mm. We're trying our best to. Um, you know, that's why you have your flint knappers, your pottery makers, your people that build Indian Native American houses. Yeah. People that study the plants they use. But, you know, it covers so many things. Archaeology covers so many things mm -hmm. because if you think about it, math, um, any kind of social studies, any of this stuff, archaeology can be incorporated into. Yeah. And we draw from other disciplines. But it's really about the people. It it's is. It's about the people. Now, this is a question. I've got some questions I really want to dabble into, but this is one that uh, I'm kind of pulling off, off, not off the top of my head because I've thought about this many, many times. In North America, archaeology is kind of in left field because other places, including Europe, Africa, Asia, 
archaeology was developed over time, and you have a written history that you can bleed into a little bit. You know, when you get into Roman and Greek and things like that, you still have a written history. All right, and that replicates itself worldwide in, in cultures. You know, even down to Byzantine and Mesopotamia, we have some type of something that we can pull and put those questions and what we find, we have some resource. But in North America, we don't have that. Okay, there, there's no written history. It's completely what comes out of the ground. So what's the biggest struggle knowing that as an archaeologist with North American relics and, and North American research? Well, that's why we have to be so diligent in our analysis of what we're looking at. You know, just understanding the use of, of what we're digging up. Mm-hmm. But just the fact, and I think even the word, the word prehistory mm-hmm. may be kind of going away because they did have language. Mm-hmm. They do have language because they're still with us today. Yeah. The inferences that we have to draw makes it very difficult. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've joked around with, you know, talking to groups of students and, you know, there's certain artifacts we're saying that, you know, they were used for a specific purpose. And one of those guys from 5,000 years ago may laugh and say, they thought we used that for <laughs> what? <laughs> and I'm sure it's the case. I'm yeah. sure there's things that we still don't know. Yeah, it, it, It's the whole thing. You imagine 5,000 years from now when archaeologists digs up a four-way tire iron. Know what they're going to think that was. But you know, Bo, our relationship with the Native Americans, Mm -hmm. that's something that, you know, we consult with the tribes. Anytime federal property is going to be dead, the tribes are are consulted. Yeah, yeah. So that is an important relationship to to, have. have. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you're exactly right. Um, On that kind of note right there, um, what what does that relationship look like now between archaeologists and and tribal leaders? Is it oh, good? Is it? I can tell you right now, two of my colleagues, uh, they work really closely with some Shawnee groups, mm-hmm. and they have a wonderful. And this is just an isolated thing, but they have a wonderful relationship. Yeah, um, I can't speak for the whole community yeah, of course no one could but you know again like i said there's always room for improvement uh yeah there's that that's with everything with everything um well i'm gonna i i'd, I'd like to take a second and really kind of highlight you for for a few minutes here before i get into the questions that me and you kind of talked about but um kind of what got you in into native american relics what 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 or not relics into native american history no that's that's fine a lot of it starts out as a relics. lot of archaeologists, whether they want to admit it or not, they they started off picking up arrowheads. Yeah. For me, it was walking across a plowed tobacco patch, getting ready to go fishing, and there she was, first one. Picked it up. Thought it was maybe a couple hundred years old. I had no hint, you know, understanding. And to me, it was cowboys and Indians. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, well, this is a couple hundred years old. This is really cool and. Uh, down there where Ramsey's is, off Harrisburg Road. Mm-hmm. Um, there used to be an old antique shop down there, and a fella sold broken arrowheads out of boxes, 25, 50 cents. Yep. He had a big display, and I used to just stand there forever and look at it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was always intrigued. 
And when I showed it to him, he told me it was 9,000 years old. And the first thing I thought of was the pyramids. I was like, wait, this thing's older than the freaking pyramids. Yeah, exactly. And it just, it had me, I was bitten. And I think it was the next spring, uh-huh. uh, we were tilling up our garden in the backyard, and I found another point. Right there. Yeah, and it just, it set off a lifelong and here we sit. And here we sit. Now, I'll give you a little present. You'll have to give me a few days to get it together. I have pictures of that collection sitting in the gift shop. Do you really? Yeah. That's the, cool. Yeah. The owner uh, down there had them in the back when uh, he had the little antique store there. And uh, there was a picture, and it's him standing in front of the arrowhead. Well, I remember looking at it many, many hours. Yeah, I'll dig it up. It's it's at the house in all my paperwork, but I'll dig it up and give you a copy of it. And I'd love to get, get that back to you. Um, so we're going to kind of talk on the archaeology subjects here and the things that are really hitting uh, close to home for everybody right now. And, and it's, it's a touchy, touchy subject. A- and um, what, is, what is the archaeological the archaeologist in you take on the repatriation that's going on it, it seems to be a, it seems to be sweeping um, I, we went up to uh, Fort Ancient there's less than 20% 30% relics it's all cast now everything's cast it was a good teaching moment good teaching moment that, uh, and then we've we, me and you talked about Etowah Mounds and things like that. So what's the archaeologic archaeologist in you? Uh, what's your take on repatriation and, and the effects it's going to have? All right, so I'm going to I'm going to back up a okay. little bit. Um, you go to Europe. Mm-hmm. You see displays. Yep. You see skeletal displays. Mm-hmm. That's Europeans digging up Europeans. Yeah. Then us being Europeans or Euro-Americans, we come over and dig up burials from not our people. Yeah. And that's how they look at it because we're not their people. Yeah. They were here, as everyone knows. Um, and I, I even said to you earlier, and I've said this because I've had to dig up so many historic uh, cemeteries is – would you really like somebody coming in and digging up your grandma? Yeah. How would you feel about that? And taking her diamond rings or whatever. And I think people need to realize, you know, when people are buried, they're meant to stay buried. A cemetery is a venerated place. It's not meant to be disturbed. Mm-hmm. So the archaeologist in me says that if the Native Americans wanted for this to happen – then we need to make it happen. Yeah. And I have, you know, personal feelings, whatever, professionally, if that's what they want, then we need to respect their wishes. And, and so me personally, because, as you know, I started school, wanted to be an archaeologist. Matter of fact, I think I had, what, two classes with you? Yeah, we had a couple classes. Yeah, we had a couple classes together, and I realized I couldn't collect and be an archaeologist at the same time. So <laughs> I, I, I chose plants, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> I don't know if that's better or worse. but um, So I have that, and then I have 
I have that mindset, which you just spoke of, and then I have the collector mindset of, you know, once this stuff's put back in the ground, because of the way it was buried, and, and, and maybe not even buried, maybe context, it'll be destroyed in a matter of years, gone forever. Any any further education or further knowledge that could be gathered from these um, objects are gone because, you know, wood, copper, things like that, they'll dissolve in a matter of years. Completely gone. Yeah, depending on the soils. Yeah. Yes. You're so my take on it is this. Outside of oral lessons and oral history, any and everything that Native Americans have – on dating, on culture, on on lifestyles, on what you were speaking of earlier, was people like you who have done the research on these relics and, and, and on these objects, burial or not burial, doesn't matter. Um, I, I think I think it's a two way street. I think any burial context, okay, and but I also believe that um, what's your take on the stuff that's not burial context? That's, you know, for instance, um, the stuff that was found in the top of Monk's Mound. If it's not associated with a burial, then, you know, by all means, we curate that and keep that. Yeah. And so, with, with like Fort Ancient, when we went up there in January, it was everything. Field found points, ceremonial, uh mound point or relics it was everything was going to be repatriated so well i know that years ago several years ago mm-hmm. the tribes came to uh to uk and i remember the meetings taking place mm-hmm. there on export street and the way i understood it was all of the burial goods mm-hmm. were moved into high security area to be there to be prepared for repatriation for repatriation and, and that, me and you are in complete agreement with, 100%. Uh, and I think study it as much as you can before that day comes. Uh, if it's 3D replication, if it's... I think at least we should be able to 3D replicate these yeah. things. You're not harming anything any more than whatever, you know, the harm took place was when this stuff was removed from the ground. Mm-hmm. But I, I see no problem in... Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and I, I have spoken with, and of course, read many, many articles that you know. There's some tribes that just say no, no photographs, no 3D replication, no nothing. You can't do nothing, and, and I think that's a shame because, in, in simplicity, it's a beautiful history. It, it's a beautiful history that shaped North America into what it is now, and not. I think in doing so is in means of respecting and preserving what was in the past. Yeah, and the other thing, Bo, is, you know, you look at the pottery. Mm-hmm. You look at the stuff that the Adena and the Hopewell were, were manufacturing. Yeah. I hate to say it, but besides the beauty, it also lights up dollar signs with people. It does. And, you know, uh, what was the... Was the guy's name that got trapped in the cave? Got trapped in the cave. Uh, oh, um, gosh! I did a paper on him. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Anyway, you know he's he's getting into Native American burials, taking pottery, 
That's, well, some people may say he got what he deserved. Exactly. Well, and, and Floyd Collins. There you go, Floyd Collins. Um, so this is going to open up another subject, and um, I, I'm in agreement. I I think that you know burial context should be left to the professionals and put back the way it was found. I am in a full agreement with that. Now, to a lot of people out there and a lot of people that are listening, um, uh, and, and we're actually getting a lot of people. I think last episode we're up to 2,800 people for last episode. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people listening, there's a big rift between archaeologists and collectors, a monster rift. And it, it, in, in hindsight, it's all archaeologists are after collections to take your collections, and all collectors are grave robbers. And, and unfor- being in my very unique situation with the way I started college, I, I realized that it's farther from the truth than ever. I, every archaeologist I ever talked to started out as a collector in some means. And, and, and it could be a field walker, it could be uh, a field digger, it could be a creek walker, it could be anything. They all started out as collectors. They just went a different way. So on that on the archaeologist standpoint, what what's your personal opinion on what's what's caused this big rift, and what can we do to fix it? Because I want to blur those lines. Is what I personally want to do. So you'd like for me to answer that in a <laughs> two or three hour? For those listening, <laughs> Eric that. just checked his watch with a look of disappointment. <laughs> no, we, we had to I get s- a laugh in. I need another beer. Okay. <laughs> almost asked i'm a bad sound person (laughs) so as a kid picking up artifacts i didn't think i was doing any harm Mm -hmm. and it was they were coming out of a plowed field Mm -hmm. okay so i won't use names but i'll tell you a true story Uh, a friend of mine in fact he was the mentor that Got me going into flint napping. Mm-hmm. He came to Lexington from the mountains of Harlem. Yep. Um, he came here to go to college at UK. And he said he'd walk down the street and say hi to people, and they'd look at him like he was crazy. Yep. You know, he so he'd come to the big city. Well, he had a collection, a really nice collection from southeastern Kentucky. He wanted to know more about it. Gave it to the archaeologists, and when he went back to get it months later, UK said they couldn't find it. Yep. Now, I do know that the archaeologist that was in charge back then, great archaeologist, but he did not like collectors. Yeah. So something happened to that man's collection. So whereas he knew me and he knew I was a professional archaeologist and was willing to teach me how to flint nap, mm-hmm. he did not like archaeologists. Yeah. And you can see, based on the experience mm-hmm. that he had, why that might happen. Correct. So a lot of collectors think that archaeologists are up in their ivory tower, mm-hmm. that they don't understand, and they look down on people. Yeah. Now, I can tell you from my personal standpoint, when I started working for the Kentucky Archaeological Survey in 1997, 
part of our mission statement and part of the reasons that we existed was to work with public landowners. Yeah. To work with the public, not just government agencies, yeah. but work with the public. So throughout that time, Bo, I would speak at historical societies, at libraries, at colleges, at schools, and I would meet collectors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were, some of them were afraid to ask me questions. I tried to make them as comfortable as possible. And what I would tell collectors, they'd say, how do you feel about arrowhead collecting? And I'd tell, and I'll say it today, just like I've always said it. If you want to walk in a plowed field and pick up artifacts Mm -hmm. and you've got permission and it's on private property, go for it. Yeah. But just do something simple. Do simple things. Record where you found it. Everything. And it's not that hard nowadays. You just you've got your phone yep. and you can drop a pin right exactly where you, where found, you found it. it. Yeah. So, you know, location. Try to catalog what you have. Yep. Try to understand how old it is, who made it, you know, the name or type. And, you know, maybe as you go further along, try to learn the material type that it was made yep. from. But just the fact that, you know, it's a disturbed context. So archaeologists can't have it both ways. They can't say, no, you can't pick that arrowhead up out of that plowed field because you're removing it from its context. Yeah. No, you're not. Correct. You know, seriously speaking, archae- you're not removing it from the context. What you are removing is if you pick up an early archaic Lost Lake point, when you take that, you've removed that information. But if you write it down... It's recorded. It's recorded. And then we've got it. We know that early archaic peoples visited that particular site. Correct. So, on on that same subject... Go ahead, sorry. But as far as the, the fracture... Yeah. As long as you've got people that are going to school for many, 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 many years to learn their craft and to be respected at their craft, there's always going to be that divide between them and the general public, the people that maybe haven't. You know, you're not, you know, you're not your average collector. You're, you want to read and learn mm-hmm. as much as you can. That's what I try to tell collectors, too. Read about the subject. Yeah. Read about the people that made these things. The so we the number episode number three was that was that Fresh Flakes? That's Fresh Flakes. Yes. So episode three on the podcast was called Fresh Flakes. And it was me and Rachel sitting here and it was all the advice I could give to a new collector. Cause you you're an you're an, an if you think about it, you're an anomaly. Majority of your collectors come from, they learned it from their grandpa, their uncle, somebody they knew in the town was collecting arrowheads. So you're an anomaly in that you started on your own, okay? So you, you've you met my dad. You know that I, I learned it from him. So in Fresh Flakes, it was uh, on that episode I talked about recording everything, documenting everything from that site. Document even little notes like, hey, this end of the field dries out beforehand. And see what points round around that. You know, you made that comment about uh, archaeologists wanting people's collections. Mm-hmm. Oh hell no! 
No. <laughs> and and here's the thing. Say I'm out walking in a field. Mm-hmm. Yep. Professionally, if I find an arrowhead, I got two choices. I leave the thing there yep. and I keep walking. But if I pick it up, I've created work for myself. <laughs> okay? So I got to fill out a site form. I got, you know, and that those, cuts that's boring. <laughs> that cuts but, into football. <laughs> but it's work, you yeah. know. And again, um, you know, one of the things that I do with with my consulting business and I'm going to Hardin County here in a couple of weeks. There's a couple that has a huge collection. Yeah. They want to know about that collection. Exactly. And what I can do as an archaeologist, I can analyze it for them, write a report for them, tell them everything they want to know about their collection. But the individual, the individual, by asking the right questions yeah. and maybe consulting with an archaeologist, can find out so much Correct. on their own about what they have. Yeah. So me and you float the same page. I mean, we're on the same level. And, and on, on the other side of that, as a collector, as somebody who collects, actively collects, I was at an archaeological survey or a society uh, 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 show s- Sunday. And the one thing I do note and, and is that the – the artifacts, the relics, the pieces that are being traded, okay, at shows, in people's, wherever. Majority of the time, it's the same relics that were here 30 years ago. Collectors bring nothing new to the table, majority of the time. There are rare circumstances, but the act of, uh, of replicating what an archaeologist is doing and things like that majority of the time that's dead it, it, it's the field walkers it's the little collections that have 30 points uh, that come in you know and, and and things like that now it does happen the other side of that does happen i'm not i'm not beating around that bush by no means and i won't try to blur those lines but you know this weekend i was watching people you know buy sell and trade and i said that used to belong to that guy and he bought it from that guy it's just the same stuff. recycled. It's basically. just recycled over and over and over. You see, you can find that in uh, flea markets. Yeah, it's the same thing over and it, it. I tell everybody, unfortunately, it's got to the point it's like guns. Who owned that gun before that person and who owned it before that? And who, what, yeah, but, but how do you – what about the fakes that come in? So this is a good, good topic. And, and the fakes, unfortunately – I think it, it has to be a joint effort between archaeologists, flint mappers, and collectors to weed out fakes because you need all all of that knowledge coming from all three angles. You need the flint mappers who are replicating patination. You need the archaeologists who are studying dug material, and you need the collectors who are handling thousands of relics a year. Well, and again, I've talked to people that said, well, I talked to an archaeologist about these arrowheads I showed him, and I know more than he does. Mm-hmm. Well, not all archaeologists are interested yeah. in lithics. Yeah. Some are more interested in pottery. Yeah. Some are interested in bones. Yep. I, so I had that conversation, and somebody's like, well, you know, archaeologists, I showed him these, and then that person said they're fake. And I just simply said, they can replicate anything that you put a dollar sign on and do it very well. Archaeologists don't give a damn about if a point is good or bad. Well, 
But here's the thing, Bo, and I've talked to several yep. of my colleagues, and they say for every fake sold, that's one less real one that's sold. Yeah. So, you know, there's it's different a two-way ways street. of looking at it. But I also know guys, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not yeah. going to say names, but I know guys that have napped points and I've opened up a catalog from mm-hmm. a dealer and they've said, I made that point, I made that point, I made that point. I, I know. And those are being sold as authentic. Mm-hmm. Yep. A- and unfortunately, it, it's the dollar sign attached to it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's anything, any hobby, knives, guns, coins, um, baseball cards, is once there's a dollar attached to it, there's somebody that's going to fake it, unfortunately. I know where there's two Gorgits right now uh, that have sold for thousands and thousands of dollars and also know where there's a picture of the guy making it on a grinder. So it's the same same thing over and over and over. Uh, And and unfortunately, the one thing people don't understand is archaeologists are are dealing with the real stuff that they are studying and they are repl- or, um, that they are digging or, or studying out of context. They're, they're not dealing with fake and real. They're dealing with hands-on. Well, I'm glad you brought, because like some of the collections that I'll yeah. work on for people, I love seeing just your standard field-grade It's great points. Yeah. Because that's a true representation. And if I've got a collection where somebody's got 500 points and mm-hmm. I'm going through everything, there may be two or three in there that are just these beautiful. The 1%. It just, it's just the way it is. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'll get you to the house one day and let you look at the collection. And one thing about my collection that just blows people's minds, and I it's my pride and joy, is for every frame of good that I have, I have a frame of study pieces, of brokes. It's one-to-one. It's just and it's good that you call them study pieces because there's a lot that can be learned from broken. Oh, typology, artifacts. grinding. The big thing is, and this is something that I think needs to be studied over and over and over and over that is not studied that often, is reduction from core. How did Because the way a Clovis man reduced a platform from a core to a Clovis in the final stages is different than pine tree man to Hopewell, to Adina. It's different reduction, and nobody studies that, but if you're studying the study pieces, the brokes, the different stages of a dovetail. Oh, sure. Oh, it's amazing, amazing that you can dabble into that. Nobody studies that, and I think everybody should, to be completely honest. There's so much information to study. There's a bucket in there, and and I'll show you before you leave. And if somebody come in here and said, I'll give you $5,000 for that bucket, I'd tell them to kiss my butt. It, It... I, I cherish it just I talked I talked some loggers into giving me some broken mm-hmm. turkey tail materials that they'd been uh, digging up in Meade County. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them asked me, you know, he was a big guy, and he said, you know, what's to keep me from squashing you like a bug? Yeah. And I said, well, I don't want your whole artifacts. Just give me the broken ones. Yeah. So they gave them to me. Yeah. And the guy looked at me and said, there ain't going to be no refits. You're not going to find any refits. I done tried putting them together. And uh, took them back to the lab, and within five minutes, I had three refits. Yep. And I've got the the materials from an actual turkey tail production site. Yeah, but, again, the broken stuff. 
the broken stuff. Mm-hmm. It matters. I've got a, at the house, I've got a frame, and it's a three-foot by two-foot frame. And it is a cache of killed turkey tails. And uh, when I bought it, I bought it. It was, The reason I bought it is it was found when they cut the Waterson Parkway in Jefferson County. Okay, the guy was on an old-school dozer and saw a big ring, and all these points started popping up out of it. All of them broke. Pieces. When I bought it, the guy said, I've tried for years. There's nothing that goes together. There's a dozen of them together yeah, right so now. <laughs> it just takes time. Yeah. All right, so um, we we know the rift that it, it, it that exists, you know, like we talked about. And, and unfortunately, I am a firm believer that it's something that just talking like what me and you are doing now, we might have different opinions and we might not agree on things all the time because we're seeing this this science or this study from two different points of view. What can collectors do to help bridge this rift and, and, and kind of blur that line so that we can help each other? On the other side of that, what can archaeologists do to do the same thing? Well, it's about sharing knowledge. Mm-hmm. Collectors, as you know, a lot of archaeological sites were found by collectors. By collectors. You've got mine. <laughs> so, you know, it's... It's about getting together and sharing knowledge. But it's like we talked about earlier. Record that location. Mm-hmm. You know, keep your collection organized. Mm-hmm. You know, document, document, document. You can never take too many notes. Correct. And then from an archaeological standpoint, you know, we've tried working with the public. We're still working with the public. We're still only scratching the surface more archaeologists need to reach out to more people. Yeah. They you we shouldn't be waiting for them to come to us. We go to them too. Correct. Correct. I, I agree one hundred percent on both ways. And don't judge. There's no judge. When I went back to school, uh Dick Jeffries became a Dr. Jeffries became a mentor to me. Mm-hmm. He never shamed me for bringing my points into showing. Yeah. He wanted to see him. But the first time that I went to a web society meeting, and again, this was professional archaeologists working with the public, working with amateurs to do things together. Well, the first one I went to, I had a frame of points I'd picked up, and some graduate student just shamed me. He said, if you don't have any uh, provenience, this and that, he goes, it's not worth looking at. We don't want to look at your stuff. That's got a bad taste well, to that start. Was, that was a t- <laughs> That was a turn, and I was a student. Yeah. And I was a student, and it wasn't long after that, the, you know, the web society dissolved. Yeah. But yeah. again, if you're going to form these societies, it's just like anything else. You've got to recruit younger people. You've got to get the kids interested. Correct. And one of the things working for KAS, Bo, I have worked with thousands and thousands of kids. Okay, yep. children, K through 12, I've had two tell me that they became, they were gonna, going to or have become archaeologists because of the experience they had working with KAS. Yep. So out of all those thousands of kids, if two, two be, I think that's pretty good. Yep. Now, could it be better? Sure. Yeah. 
There's always room for improvement. Yes. Always room for improvement. And I, I, I'm going to take a second here and uh, kind of give a little background on me and you and how we met. Do you remember this story? Probably not like you do. So. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what level class that was. Was it 300 level you were teaching at that time? I don't remember. It was somewhere. And uh, I had put the pictures of the Clovis in that paper. Remember this? And you said, you got to cite your resources. I said, well, I did. It's me. No, no. Uh, yeah. Me and you talked on the phone that night. I said, no, I found that in Jessamine County. Well, bring it to the lab. Let me look at it. And I'm like, uh, you know, because I had that mentality yes. <laughs> that archaeologists were after my rocks. I'm like, nah, 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 not happening. And I said, well, can I look around? And you're like, sure. I'm like, all right. And I brought that. I've still got that picture. It's hanging on the wall. It's framed hanging on the wall in the rock room that you took of that Clovis, that Carter Cave Clovis. And uh, I'll never forget, I walked in, I went, holy shit. <laughs> I brought it, everything in in a tote. I don't remember. It set it up on that big table y'all had. Back in the wet lab. Back, back in the wet lab. Absolutely amazing, amazing place that was out there. So, but yeah, that that's how me and you got started. You were. Yeah, and I wasn't condescending. Mm-mm. That's why. I was interested. Mm-hmm. And now look, yeah. 20 years go by and we're. Well, here we are. Yeah. You're buying peppers from me. Yes. <laughs> and uh, um, that site uh, produced uh, six Clovises, personally. I don't know how many Ashley produced. Six to me. So now Bo, the professional in me, wants to say you need to record that site. It is. Okay. Uh, it is. Somebody actually recorded it as a uh, archaeological site for me. Yeah. And two mastodon teeth. There you go. Out of the creek. So, uh, but uh, every, I'll show you. Come to the house. I'll show you. Every There's one thing we haven't talked about yet. What's that? Digging. All right. We'll talk about digging. I'll give you my, my t- stance on it. You give me yours. All right. Disturbed archaeological context are a free fall. How do you how do you know there's not intact underneath that disturbed? That that's a risk you gotta take. Archaeology is the planned destruction of history. Doesn't matter who does it. As long as it's recorded correctly, documented in all forms. Now, there are things that army amateur archaeologists and diggers are not gonna do. They're not going to study seeds. They're not going to study. A lot of them aren't going to study pollen, germination, things like that. That stuff's going to be lost. I think think that burial is completely out of context, or out of of the question, not context, out of the question, 100%. Uh, Tobacco fields, archaeology's done pretty much pretty well damage here in central Kentucky. Our top soil is 12 to 18 inches deep in most places. Most plows are 12 to 18 inches deep. Now, you get into fire pits and trash pits and things like that from Fort Ancient sites, then you're in a whole other class of, of critter. Out west, western Kentucky, Arkansas, when you have 20 foot of silt and people are out there, you know, pot digging and things like that, mm, that you know, there's so many variables. Now, that's my take on it. What's yours? Well, as an archaeologist, you say don't dig. Mm-hmm. Um, 
caves and rock shelters are targets. I agree. As an archaeologist that has excavated many rock shelters, they are time capsules. They are. The dry ones are time capsules. And what I want for people to understand is that if you, and again, you know, we talked about, you you alluded to this earlier. You learn from your father. You learn, mm-hmm. well, in the 1960s, going and digging in a rock shelter on a Saturday in eastern Kentucky may have been no different than a, a father and his son going fishing. Oh, yeah. It's something that they do together on the weekend, and it's enjoyable. But when you dig into an intact rock shelter, all it takes is five minutes, and you've just, you've destroyed 5,000 years of history. Okay. Now, my feeling is that if you have a rock shelter on private property, and I tell her, oh, yeah, you can come dig my rock shelter. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. It's not, <laughs> it's not against the law. But I still don't like to see it happening. Let me now, uh, hang go on. ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So this is what we tell people, and and I've worked with you know kids digging in plow zones. I've worked with adults. If you want to dig something, if you want to dig in a plowed field, if you know there's a concentration of artifacts, and you want to go out there and dig, if you've got an archaeologist that's at least there to give you tips or something. Mm-hmm. I'm all for it. If you you know, if you've got the training and you're just digging in a disturbed context and you're going to follow the you're going to take notes, you're going to do measurements, mm-hmm. you're going to take photographs. If you're going to do all that stuff, well then you're doing archaeology. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're digging a unit in a 1 by 1 or 1 by 2 meter square or rectangle and you're not just you know, digging a Bob hole, getting, yeah. Then you're do, you're doing archaeology. Mm-hmm. So I just I think there's I think it's pretty clear cut. Don't dig. Yeah, you know, just don't dig. Let me throw this one out, and, and this is something that I've often wanted to ask you. What about disturbed rock shelters? Well, because that's now a, that's a great question, Bo. Because when I go when I'm doing survey work, and I find a, like a rock shelter with a looter pit in it, mm-hmm. here's the first thing. Two things I do. Well, the first thing I do is I tell my crew, don't pick anything up. Just we'll do yep. that later. Don't pick anything up. Next thing I have them do is look around to see if maybe there's some petroglyphs. Mm-hmm. Then the next thing I do, the next two things I do before I do before I stick a shovel in the ground or anything is I take my trowel, I try to carve down the wall of the looter pit mm-hmm. to see if there could be any more intact deposits. Then we go through the looter dat back dirt piles mm-hmm. and see what they missed. Yeah. And it's amazing what the things they missed. So what I'm doing is I'm looking for intact deposits. Yeah. If you think that you're in a rock shelter that's been totally blitzed, I mean, that's your choice to do that. But I just wouldn't take any chances. Yeah, I understand. I understand 100%. And another thing, you know, you learn – one of the things I learned early on doing rock shelter work is the drip line. Yep. Looters usually don't 
loot the drip line. So they they want the honey and, and they want the, the med. You know, you're going in the middle in the back of the shelter mm-hmm. and, and digging the honey and, and leaving everything else. Yes. So I I think, and, and I shouldn't say I think I I know. Um, there there's hardly, and you might you know better than I do. I would say. Three quarters of every rock shelter in Kentucky has been dug between sixties and seventies. Yeah, you think of, you, you you do that, and then you know I've done some really neat surveys where uh, Natural Bridge Park or mm-hmm. one of these places has acquired some property that was private, mm-hmm. and you get on these private properties, and sure enough, you're finding these undisturbed shelters. But that was because a property owner said no, yeah, and kept people off of his yeah. property. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, some of the worst destruction I've seen is on Pine Mountain down in Harlan County. Oh. Very hard to find undisturbed shelters. Undisturbed, yeah. But they're out there. Yeah, just not as many as there should be. Now, another subject, and and not to jump, but it's on the same topic, okay? There's really three ways people are hunting right now. They're digging. They're field walking. And the one we haven't talked about. Creek walking. You know, you can't do it in Central Kentucky. It's impossible. I have never, I have never, <coughs> excuse me. I have found tools, mm-hmm. but I've never found an arrowhead in a creek. You ready to absolute shit a brick? <laughs> I found a five and a quarter inch knobbed hardened made of Sonora on. Our mutual buddy's property in Garrett County, in that little creek in front of never walked down there to take a pee, and I'm sitting there, and I look over, and I said, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. And it just sat there, standing straight up like somebody just said it there. Yeah, that's just... Now, Dad, uh, on our second episode, Dad talked about, down in Jessamine County, uh, Hickman Creek down there. You know, in, in central Kentucky, it's like looking for a needle in a needle stack because we're creek. our creeks are stone-based. Dad's found a dozen, maybe 20 Fort Ancient knives in one spot where the creek makes a switchback. The thing about creeks is where, would, where did the stuff originate? Mm-hmm. No way. And I don't know if you saw the episode of Kentucky Field I was on, but a young mm-hmm. lady I found sure a, and it was somebody put it there. Somebody put the darn thing there. Yeah. But I guess you'd have to have a pretty good trained eye to yeah, find them in a stream. Now, western Kentucky, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, that's their primary hunting. You know, except you get up into Illinois. Um, I, I know many of guys who are creek walking in washouts, especially where... Yeah, it's the environment. Yeah, well, it's also agriculturists come in and cut these big swaths through the middle of these fields to get irrigation, and they've cut the field, you know, the field's 10,000 acres, and in the middle of it, they they dig a big trench, right, to, to get water through it, and then they go hunt these swaths. And so it's a creek now. It's a labeled, named creek, but they're hunting the washout. You know, all that water is running through there. Uh, you know, it might run into the Wabash, but it's man-made creek, and so that—that's a—I mean, it's just a form of hunting. And the thing about it, 
and, and of course, I don't do it here. I've done it in Missouri. I, I've, I've hunted a creek in Missouri, but here, I don't know where the legality lays. lays. Well, I think it would be just like fishing. If, you know, you're... What are the riparian rights? What are the, the so the law is written in Kentucky that anything you can float belongs to the state, which is then state property, which is illegal. See, you see the con. <laughs> well, you know we've got the case of the Indian Head Rock that yep. you know up there in South Portsmouth, you know, mm-hmm. and did it belong to Kentucky or did it belong to Ohio? Yep. The, um, you know there was a mortar that weighed 350 pounds that was found about 100 yards upstream, right? No. There was a human head, and the top of it's hollowed out. <laughs> it's in my front yard. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. But here's why. The guy's house burned down, and it was in his front yard. And so I just stopped by, and I'm like, Where'd that come from? And there it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it happens more than you think it happens. Um, all right. So uh, we got a few more topics, and we're going to start wrapping it up here a little bit. Uh, but uh, what is, in your opinion, your professional opinion and your personal opinion, what's the greatest threat to archaeology in North America right now? in the future for future generations. Because we're dealing with issues that didn't exist 20 years ago. Not, 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 not even, not to say 50 years ago, but just 20 years ago, we're dealing with issues in archaeology. Well, it wasn't until the 1960s that we started to protect archaeological sites. Mm-hmm. And we have laws to protect them. Mm-hmm. Are the laws enforced in some states as well as other states? No. Um, I think the biggest thing that, that I would worry about is preservation of the sites themselves mm-hmm. and then the laws surrounding that. What's going to keep people from destroying these archaeological sites? I can't really get into climate change or anything, but climate change... Mm-hmm could have an effect on... What about urbanization? Well, urbanization is huge, and I was getting ready to get into that because a guy named Charles Hawkinsmith... Great guy out of Harrodsburg. ...wrote a... uh, He did a report years ago, and it was before the housing boom really hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you know, like in the... Well, maybe you don't know, but like in Fayette County... The early to mid-70s, there were a lot of houses being built. Correct. And there is no, if there's no federal money being used, there's no archaeology that needs to be done. Yeah. So when this kind of stuff spreads and this development spreads, it's just like out, uh, what's it called, Polo Club. Mm-hmm. Out you know, there. I see what's going on out there, and then I see that giant hospital that's just been built, and but- I wonder what was out there? You know, what was out there? Mm-hmm. What what did we miss? I, I, have, I just wish there was more. Uh, and, you know, people fear like, well, if they do the archaeology, it's going to hold us up. It's going to cost us money. Correct. I just wish there was a way 
for us to at least do a phase one investigation before these lands are destroyed. Yeah. But I think that if we keep, as the population grows, if we don't start conserving and preserving where these sites are, then we're in trouble. I agree. The The site you're talking about, I got permission to field walk that after they started construction. Would blow your mind. See, and again, that's just me driving by thinking, yeah. oh my, what have we missed? Mm-hmm. So, Dad uh, was born and raised here on Hillendale, right inside the circle here. And uh, as a kid, he would hunt the field right behind, which is now Clay's Mill. And the relics, I, I, I own the frames now. He gave them to me. The relics had just come from right there. The archaic material, the transpaleo is just phenomenal, and it's just gone. It's just gone. I, I ask this question to everybody that comes in here because it, it's a mind-thinking question here is, if you had the choice, everything that's been found or everything that's still in the ground? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I think that there's a lot more in the ground than, than we think. Uh, that is that is the number one answer. Yeah, I think there's a lot more in the ground. Yeah. I, the other the other part of that I ask some people is um, the number of stuff that's been destroyed and the number of stuff that's been found. And I always say the stuff that's been destroyed to urbanization. Well, theoretically, every stone tool that was ever made should be around. Yeah. <laughs> unless it got ground up or exploded yeah. or whatever. Well, the problem is it's all under concrete yeah, right now. I'm just saying that, you know, yeah. stuff doesn't go away. It 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 takes a hell of a um, uh, a grinding to get rid of some of these stone tools. Think about, you know, these four- and five-inch dovetails. Been, circ- been in this cake-batter mix of of archaeology for 200 years now, and you find them, they don't have a ding on them. It just blows my mind <laughs> that that even still happens. So um, we're going to start to wrap this up, but uh, uh, one thing is is uh, you're still active in archaeology. You, you've got a business now. I want you to give us a shameless plug here of, of what you're doing here in central Kentucky, what your business is, and, and what you're offering to uh, people here in the bluegrass and surrounding counties. Well... Um, as far as an archaeologist goes, I'm a lithic specialist. Mm-hmm. So one of the, and I still and it's funny you ask because I still work with the folks at the survey. Mm-hmm. So I look at a lot of the stuff um, out of Western Kentucky now. Mm-hmm. And but what mm-hmm. I do with my business, not only can I work with professional firms, but I also work with individuals. Um, I'm looking at a collection right now that's probably going to go into a museum. But first thing I'd like to say is, my name is Eric Schlarb. Don't be afraid to contact me. Um, I'm an experienced archaeologist. I know I've got really good knowledge of what goes on here in central Kentucky or what has gone on. Um, But if you want to know about your collection, if you want to know more about it, you can contact me. And how do people get a hold of you? Um, you can reach me at ericschlarb1 at gmail.com. Of course, that is on my website, too. And all you have to do is type in www.kylithics.com. K-Y-L-I-T-H-I-C-S dot com. All right. And, and so you're doing, um, you know, of course, collection... Um, uh, 
studies, and you're doing and, site studies. I stu- do survey. I survey. do survey work, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we've talked about some of those you're doing in and around for farmers and for uh, developers and things like that to really uh, help that uh, that furtherment there. So, uh, yeah, don't be afraid. We'll put the link up in the uh, description here. We'll make sure Rachel gets all that so that uh, it's easy for people to get a hold of you. They can just click on either your email or your uh, website, and it'll send them right over to it. So That'd be great. All right, Eric, I greatly appreciate you letting me do this. You don't know how much it means. Uh, this is um, uh, something I've been wanting to do for years and years and years, I, I, and is to, you know, one thing is to record the stories. Another thing is to help blur that line between archaeology and collecting. A, and then the other thing is just to put a digital fingerprint on so further generations have this. So I greatly yes. appreciate you showing up. I'd love to do it again in a couple months. We'll, we'll pick some more topics, and maybe we'll dabble into some sites and some stuff. We didn't even talk about some of the great things that you've been able to uncover as an archaeologist, and, and uh, maybe we can dabble into that a little bit. Sure, and I'd love to share. And again, um, I'm not saying you can just call your friendly neighborhood archaeologist, <laughs> but I think that if a lot of the collectors will give them uh, their time, they may be surprised on some of the people they'll encounter in professional archaeology. All right, perfect. Question, question from the sound booth. <laughs> uh, just listening to both of you talk, and uh, mm-hmm. you can call each other anomalies, and well, you're a collector that's like this. Well, you're an archaeologist like this. Well, I bet I think the hope is that there's more out there. Um, Eric, do you think that, uh, let's put in quotes, the good of the collectors as well as the, uh, the you know, there's good and bad in both pretty much anything mm-hmm. people do. Do you think you all have more in common than maybe what gets realized because of these preconceived notions? Well, sure we do, and that's that's why that, you know, hopefully one day that bridge can be, yeah. you know, that gap can be closed. Maybe mm-hmm. we can focus on that more together. And, and and But you have to realize, you know, collecting is a mentality, too. Mm-hmm. Do I have a collecting mentality? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I tell everybody it's the uh, the pirate treasure mentality. It's you know that guy found that you know uh, what's his name that found the Titanic. He then went and found the U.S. the USS America, which contained billions of dollars in gold. And I'll be damned if he's still not out there looking for the next treasure. Confessions of a professional archaeologist. (laughs) I had my whole family kicked out of Perryville. When I was 12. <laughs> I feel like that's I a whole a, hour I in had itself. A de- <laughs> I had a metal detector, and I was on the battlefield digging stuff up, and these guys came by and just grabbed me by the hair, threw me in the back of a truck. <laughs> my my family was picnicking, and, they, they, and the sign that said no metal detecting was covered by tree branches is that an excuse for no reason? Excuse. <laughs> if, it, if, if it was no covered excuse, by metal but, that's not but your i got my whole family <laughs> kicked out of the Perry yeah. State Park. yeah i mean it, it, it's it's <laughs> I, I hope you get a chance to listen to some of these stories like that will blow your mind that have come out of this booth so all right eric again i greatly appreciate you being here um it, it means the world to me and i hope we have many more of these thank you bo all appreciate right. you having me and that's the episode.
episode. Thanks for listening. As always, reach out to us with your questions, thoughts, concerns, stories at flutedclovis at gmail.com. Make sure to check Eric's website out. We'll have that linked. And as always, rock on. <laughs>